Well, today is uh, International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church and really wanted us to be able to participate. That's a, a, a clip from a full feature film that they have made of their lives. And uh, so we don't really understand too well, I don't think, what the persecuted church is up against. They are willing to lay down their lives. And I have to ask myself, I, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if it came to it, would I be willing to do the same? I hope I never have to find the answer for that. But um, let's pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. Uh, we know... We know a few that are out there in the world in very dangerous places, and I cannot give you their names or where they are because that would put them in danger, even more danger. So I want you to take just a moment or two uh, to pray your own prayers for brothers and sisters around the world who really are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. And then I'll lead us in a prayer for this morning. Oh, Father in heaven, we pause to give you thanks for the privilege of worship, for the privilege of being able to gather together as your people openly and freely. Lord, we pray that that would continue. We pray for our nation, O oh God, that we would continue to be able to live in peace so that your gospel might continue to go forth and bear fruit. We thank you for each other, Lord. I believe that in the coming days, we will need each other more and more. And Lord, we want to lift up Jeremiah and Elisa and the family to you, Lord. We pray that you will be doing your good work within them, strengthening them for their future. And Lord, there are times when we find ourselves at a loss for words and Acknowledge that we do not know how to pray for your church in their hour of need because of persecution. We are tempted to pray that you take away or put a stop to the persecution. However, the persecuted church has told us not to pray for that, but to pray instead for strength of faith and belief so that they will remain faithful in the face of persecution. We've also been told that they are praying for the church in America because they see us as weak and in danger of leaving the faith if persecution comes to America. 
And Lord, if we look to the horizon, I see glimpses of persecution headed our way. And we pray for the strength to be faithful to you no matter what we face. More importantly, help us to be loving. Help your persecuted church remain loving in the face of persecution. Help us realize it is your love that will change our world by changing the hearts of people one heart at a time. May we be faithful to do our part. And we ask that you strengthen your people everywhere to be true disciples of our loving Lord and Savior, Jesus, in whose name we pray. And all the people said, amen. Well, I'm feeling a little stronger today. I still have my chair in case I need it. Um, I'm not like Hunter running back and forth because that would wear me out in about 10 seconds. <laughs> but uh, we have a lot, I have a lot that I want to share with you today. Uh, so I think we'll need to fasten up our seatbelts as we take off. Last Sunday, we spent some time looking at what I consider the first great biblical truth that we really need to grasp a hold of and let it sink deep into our lives. And that is the fact that God has, has an incredible love for you. And I define that love as being a tender, compassionate concern for your and my well-being. A tender, compassionate concern for our well-being. When we come to understand how much God loves us, we're free to respond to his love, which has been demonstrated to us through Jesus' willingness to come into our world, live with us as one of us, and offer his own life as a sacrifice for us. He took the punishment for our sins so we could be forgiven by our Father in heaven through the blood of his Son which was poured out upon the cross. We must understand that the plan of redemption and salvation is the Father's plan. And the plan has been carried out by Jesus through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit within him. And when we say yes to God's plan, when we say yes and receive Jesus into our heart and life as our personal Lord and Savior, we are changed at the very core of our existence down here. The, the Hebrews would say, in the gut level. We, we're not fond of that one, so we, we say at the heart. It's not necessarily what pumps blood through us. It is that place where we make decisions, where we decide what we're going to do and, and all the other things about life. It, it comes from within, and the scriptures tell us to, oh, guard your heart. Because it is the wellspring of life. Life comes from the heart. 
from deep down inside at the core. You might want to check out Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27 sometime. You could read that when you get home. Okay, you sharpen your pens. You might need them yet. Uh, Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. It's a promise that God has given to Israel, but it's also a promise that's found in several other places in the Old Testament, and Jesus Christ fulfilled that promise by giving us new hearts and a new life. Our hearts are changed when we accept Christ, and we know deep within us that we have become the children of God because we have received his spirit within us. And Paul says, our spirit bears witness with his spirit, or his spirit bears witness with our spirit, that we are the children of God. That is an amazing thing. All of this comes to us as a gift from the Father's love. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. This is not something you do. It's not something you can, can conjure up from within for yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works. So none of us can boast about being here as a child of God. We all come at the foot of the cross. I hope and pray that you are here today as a believer and know that your faith in Jesus and all he has accomplished on your behalf has granted you entrance into the kingdom of God as a child of the Father. That is what John tells us in the beginning of his gospel in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. And it talks about Jesus coming into the world and he came to his own people, but they rejected him. And, and, and then it says, yet to all, Jew and Gentile alike, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave what? The right to become the children of God. The right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. What we talked about last week, being born again. Not exactly what Nicodemus was expecting to hear but it was a message Jesus needed to give him. You must be born again if you're going to see or enter the kingdom of God. If it feels like I am overemphasizing this point, it is because this is where we all begin our faith journey with God. It's where we all begin as children in the kingdom Jesus makes us right with a father, and he accepts us as his own adopted sons and daughters. You know, Jesus, you're an adopted child. You've been adopted by God as one of his own. 
Which brings me to the second uh, great biblical truth that has the potential to transform us and make us strong in him. And the second truth is an understanding that a process of change begins with our rebirth. God loves us as a child of his, and he accepts us just as we are. He accepts us as we are. You do not need to be perfect or good enough or clean up your life or get off drugs or promise to stop a bad behavior to be a child of the Father. However, (laughs) we do need to know that God loves us too much to leave us in the condition in which he found us, right? God has change in mind. And like any child, any parent, we had had a son, have a son, (laughs) He's a, dear, he's a dear child, well into his 40s now. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. But um, he wasn't growing very much as a youngster. And so as parents, we were concerned. I mean, he was the smallest kid in where, he was the smallest kid wherever he went for his age. And so we would take him to the doctors and the clinics and they were talking about growth hormones and this and that and the other thing. And we had one doctor who said, you know, he may not be growing as fast as others, but he is growing. And let's see if he will grow at his own pace. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? Isn't it nice to know that God accepts you where you are? He wants you to grow, but he's going to let you grow at your own pace. But we all need to understand, we start out as children. And we are told that from there, we need to grow up. (laughs) We need to grow up. Uh, There are times when I'd like to say that to some adults. Would you please grow up? Grow up and become the person God intended us to be from the very beginning. In Ephesians 4, 14 through 16, the Apostle Paul, he's on a roll. And there are certain passages in his letters that just go on and on and on and on and on and on. Now, in our English Bibles, they've put periods and commas and so on and so forth in there, but they're not in the original languages. It just goes on. So Paul is talking about the need to grow. And he says, then, if we grow, then we will no longer be infants. Now, in another place, Paul wrote to the church and said, You know, I wanted to give you solid food, 
but I couldn't give you solid food because you were still infants and you need the milk of the word. They weren't growing. We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful schemings. Instead, speaking the truth in love. I want you to know that in the original language, the emphasis is on love and not speaking the truth. God wants us to speak the truth, but he wants us to speak it with love so that we have that tender, compassionate concern for the well-being of the person we are talking to. He says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will all, if we can, we can be honest and truthful and caring with each other, we are all going to grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. And we will become more like him. And he goes on to say, and from him the whole body, the body of Christ, and today because of the persecuted church and the international day of prayer, the body of Christ is worldwide. This is a local body of Christ and we give thanks for that, but we are part of something bigger. The whole body joined and held together by every supporting living lig ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As we grow up in grace and knowledge of Christ, we also help his church grow up. Someone once said, the church is only as healthy as its people are healthy in the Lord. The world we live in does not make it easy for us to grow up into being the person God wants us to be. There are forces at work, my friends, that work against that very process. God wants us to grow up in him. We have an enemy who does not want to see that. Because the world, and if you think about this, I think you'll agree, the world wants, you, wants to squeeze us into its mold, and that's called conformity. Conform, conform, conform. Paul in Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his good will for us, his pleasing will for us, his perfect will for us, if you will. And the implication here is that God wants to help us think differently about who we are. He wants us to think differently about who we are so we can truly live into being the person that God has created us to be. I don't know about you, 
I grew up in a home like most of you. Good mom, good dad. Because dad was a part of World War II and served uh, in the Battle of the Bulge and so forth, he came back as kind of a shell of a person. And so in some respects, I really didn't have much of a dad. But it's so important for us to recognize and to realize we have a loving dad. We have a loving dad who is there for us and he wants to help us be the person he created. Let me digress just a wee bit. Uh, there's a couple of teenagers here and some parents of teenagers probably. The greatest, the greatest gift that we can give to our children is our understanding that we are to help them grow into the person God wants them to be. I wish I'd have known that when I was younger. I thought, I thought my son would be much better off if he was a lot more like me. Better than being like mom. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Help your child. And this is especially true, I think. I, James Dobson used to say that the task of parenting is to be able to give up 100% of the control you were given at their birth by the time they're 18. Now, I wouldn't put an age in there because every child grows up to maturity at a different pace. Some are adults at 14, 15. Others don't make it until they're 25 plus. But don't put an age on it because it's a growth process but help them grow into the person God wants them to be. And young people, you are under horrendous pressure from all around you, whether it's social media, whether it's school, wherever. You're under tremendous pressure to conform, wear the right clothes, be in the right crowd. You know the scenario. God wants you to be his child. And let your life come from down here. Now, that's, there's so much more I could say. <laughs> but, it, but I need to move on. And I think that, that as a believer... You have probably experienced something of the process of becoming the person God created you to be as you read his word and allow the spirit of God to apply his truth to your life. As you read his word, you will change. As you let the Holy Spirit work in your life, you will change. 
You may have attended a class here at Brown Corners that helped you deal with some aspect of your life that seemed to be out of character for you. The healing grace of our Lord binds up what has been broken in the soul. And all of us, because we live in a fallen world, are broken people. We have, we have all faced and felt brokenness. And Jesus wants to bind up what has been broken. He wants to heal the wounds of the heart that have been inflicted upon us by ourselves and others. And it only can happen if we will bring our brokenness and our wounds to the Savior. Because he alone, God alone, is the healer of the soul. Back to the message. So we are loved by God, the God of creation. He loves you. When we accept Jesus into our heart and life, we become the accepted and adopted children of God. And he wants to help us become all we can be. And God said that before the army ever got a hold of it. Be all you can be as the unique person, unique person God has created. The third great biblical truth that transforms our lives is in knowing that we are and can be forgiven for all the wrongs we have done, are doing, or will do. You got it? There, is, there are no restrictions on forgiveness, but one. If you don't come to Jesus for, for forgiveness, there is no forgiveness. It's called the unpardonable sin. And that's the only definition that Scripture gives for the unpardonable sin. It really is the rejection of Jesus and the work of the Spirit in a person's life. Jesus paid the price for our forgiveness on the cross. And when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished or it is complete, he meant there is nothing more that needs to be done than what he has already done. All we can do is accept what he has done for us. He gave his life for ours. He took our sins upon himself and gave us his righteousness. You will never get a better deal than that. God knows, my friends, that we fail and fall, but he has made a provision for that. And John, in his epistle, in verses 8 and 9 of 1 John 1, says, if we claim, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth isn't in us. 
So if you think you're perfect, you might want to check on that. Because John goes on to say, the word of God, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And, now here's the bonus, purify us from all unrighteousness. You're going to confess one sin, he's going to clean you up for everything. Gives you a clean slate. And a, like a toddler pats us on the bottom, doesn't hurt because there's a lot of padding down there, but puts us down and says, go try it again. And by the way, I'll help you if, if, you, if you let me. Jesus has provided a way for us to be forgiven, cleansed, and made right with God the Father again and again and again. All of this is a gift from Jesus, who is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us even now. You realize that? Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and me right now. And the fourth great biblical truth that leads to our transformation comes in knowing that we are never alone in our journey of faith. We are never alone. In the Great Commission, Jesus clearly told his disciples that he would be with them always. Once you have received Jesus into your heart and life, he will never leave you or forsake you. There are times when it may feel like he is no longer there. And it is then that we need to know that we may be listening to the wrong voice. We may be listening to the voice of the enemy who says, you call yourself a Christian and you just did that. You better check again. No, that's the voice of the enemy. And it is then that we need to know God's word has many promises that make it clear that God is always with us. When he chooses you, when he picks you out of the enemy's camp and says, come with me, and you say, okay, he will always be with you. In the Old Testament, it says he engraves our names on the palm of his hand so we are always in his consciousness. And Jesus told his disciples he would not leave them as orphans. I mean, Jesus was talking about, I'm going to leave. I'm, I'm going to go be with the Father. But I will not leave you as orphans but I will come to you and I will remain with you. And he would do that through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit of God. He is always with us. So you are loved by God. He accepts you as you are and desires to help you grow up in him to be all you can be as a child in the kingdom. 
you are a forgiven person. And forgiveness is always available. When you fail, and you will, get back up. Try it again with God's help. And always remember that you are never really alone in your faith journey because Jesus has promised to always be with us, even to the close of the age. As we share together in communion today, remember these things and celebrate your good fortune as you remember all that Jesus has done for you through his death on the cross and in his resurrection. He died for our sins and he is alive to give us eternal life and the assurance that he is with us always to the very end. And so the Lord invites you to come to his table. He invites you to come to his table. This is his table. It's not ours. And on the night when Jesus was betrayed, the scriptures remind us that he took a piece of bread. Actually, it was a loaf, a flat loaf, and he tore it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take of this and eat of it, all of you, because this is my body which I am giving for you. And Jesus knew what was coming. He also took the cup that evening. It would have been the third cup of the evening called the cup of redemption. The cup of redemption. It's interesting in the Jewish tradition of Passover, there are five cups that they participated in. And someday I will, maybe I will have a chance to share those with you. But this was the third cup, the cup of redemption. God's redeeming his people. God redeeming his people. And Jesus took that cup and he changed the Passover tradition forever by taking that cup and holding it up and saying to his disciples, take of this and drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant. The new covenant that God has with you and me. And a covenant is an agreement which God makes that we get to participate in. And he says it is for the forgiveness of sin. As you come today, if you need forgiveness for something, this table represents forgiveness. And as you drink, recognize that he cleanses you through and through. So, Father, we thank you for these gifts. They are precious to us. They help us to remember you, O oh God, and what you have done for us through your Son, Jesus. We ask, Father, that you would bless the bread 
and the cup, we ask, Father, that you would bless us. We give you thanks, Lord, for your special gifts. And you are invited to come down the aisles and participate at his table. Receive his blessing. Receive his blessing. Amazing. 
Send us forth as your people to make an impact upon the world by being the people you have redeemed and help us do what you want done through your spirit at work in us and through us. Lord, watch over us. Protect us from the evil one and help us return next Sunday with joy in our hearts. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you.